This podcast is for mature audiences only. Hi, my name is Claudia McMichael, and I wrote and lived the other me. Friends that read my manuscript of the other me often commented the most on the chapter on family dynamics. They felt like by me telling my mother's story, it might have been too harsh or even inappropriate. They couldn't quite see how it fit fit in with extrasensory perception. When my mom made her confession to me about having ESP, she couldn't emphasize enough that it played an important part in the trifecta of her many post-op problems. It wasn't bad enough she was in constant physical pain. She was also overwrought with depression as a result of being alone in a town away from her family with no help. Add to that the daily battle she was having with unwelcome visions, and she really did have the trifecta brewing for a physical, mental, and emotional breakdown. Every time she brought up the subject of my abuse, she said how much she regretted choosing an inept and inexperienced obstetrician. She said it did teach her an important lesson. She learned to listen to her body. Mom told me that your body is always giving you clues that you should never ignore. A doctor will never know your body as well as you do. Just listen to the clues and make sure you find the right doctor for the right ailment. When I was about to have my daughter by C-section, my obstetrician decided to give me an epidural. Instead of going down my spinal column, it headed straight up towards my brain. I started yelling that it was going to my head and the doctor quickly grabbed my ankles, jerking them above the bed while the nurse lowered my head. I went down the hall to surgery with my feet in the air and my head sagging down the mattress. If this wasn't enough torture, Ricky was crying and praying over me like he was giving me the last rites. The medicine finally stopped at the base of my neck. Ricky told me later he was panicking because he thought the injection was going to my brain and I would never be normal again. The nurses couldn't send me to La La Land fast enough. Ricky went to the waiting room to tell my mom what had happened, and she fainted dead away. The orderlies picked her up and put her in a room and gave her something to wake her up. Of course, they checked her over and determined she hadn't had a heart attack or a stroke. Meanwhile, Ricky was trying to figure out how he was going to tell me that Sylvia had dropped dead of a heart attack during the birth of a granddaughter. After learning she was going to be all right, my mom said Ricky told her he didn't know what scared him the most, seeing his wife with her legs in the air going into surgery or his mother-in-law dropping like a dead weight to the floor. When I woke after surgery, I could only hear what I can describe as a freight train running through my head. The nurse was trying to ask me questions, but I was feeling so much pressure in my brain, I thought it was going to explode. She contacted the doctor immediately, and he sent some kind of high-powered tranquilizer to knock me out. I thought about what my mom had always told me about listening to my body, and to always speak up if I felt something was wrong. I had to stay longer in the hospital to get the medicine from the epidural flushed out of my system. But if I hadn't spoken up and went home early, I wouldn't have been able to take care of myself, let alone a new baby. 
Thank you, Mom, for teaching me to always listen to my body. My mother always generously donated money to help people. I remember finding her with local clippings from the newspaper in a stack on the table. She would pull out the articles that touched her heart the most and contribute money to their cause. She didn't give to the usual well-known charities because she didn't know how much of the money would actually go to the victim. She chose local people who had lost their home in a fire or give to a child that needed an expensive surgery. She did this quite often and would share with me the heartbreaking stories of people who needed her help. Mom taught me two valuable lessons that have proved me well over my 73 years. Always be generous in helping others and always listen to your body. My mother would have been the first to say, let's put our story out there for all the little kids who might feel they think differently or something might be wrong with their mind. This was not an easy book to write. There were many times, especially when I was writing about my mom, that I would have to stop typing because I couldn't see beyond my tears. Her life was filled with multiple forms of ESP. She had precognition in her visions to come. She had rec recognition in her fantasy family, and she had clairvoyance in her reuniting with her husband in her hospital room. Oh yes, my mom would have loved to be included in the other me. Sylvia would just have considered it part of doing her charitable work. But there was one question among many that haunts me to this day. Did anyone know about Sylvia? Did anyone other than the two people who witnessed the abuse firsthand suspect? Did anyone notice the bloody stripes running down my legs from the switch? Didn't people find it strange that I would jerk away when anyone tried to touch me? When I would cower in the corner of a room after my mother would yell at me, didn't my daddy find this odd? Ricky and I had been dating for about two months. We were in the car when suddenly... He threw his arm in front of my face. I doubled over instinctively, put my arms over my head. Ricky was horrified because it looked like I was trying to protect myself from him. He said he was just trying to point out a pretty field of wildflowers as we were driving by. He was so upset that I would ever think he would hurt me. Actually, he looked repulsed. He demanded that I explain to him what had just happened. I told him about my early childhood abuse, and although he was very sympathetic, he told me he hoped what had just happened would never happen again. I really had unnerved him. When I was very young, my mom's parents would drive down from Dallas to spend a four-day weekend every six weeks. Cecil, my granddad, was a postman for, in Oak Cliff and carried mail for 41 years on Jefferson Boulevard. You might remember the famous Texas theater on Jefferson where Lee Harvey Oswald ducked in to avoid the police when he supposedly killed President Kennedy. More on Oswald later. Every six weeks, my grandfather would accrue a long weekend and make the drive from Dallas to Tyler to spend time with us. I would be so happy when they came to visit because I knew I would be safe. Even though I was only three years old, I realized that when they were here, the spankings would stop. One day, my grandmother asked me if Mommy ever hurt me. At first, I was too scared Mom would hear me if I said yes out loud, so I just nodded yes. 
She warned me that I had to be an extra good little girl and not make her mad because Mommy had nervous thoughts and couldn't help herself. At three years old, I was mature enough to be pretty savvy when it came to Mom's moods, but really, I was supposed to know what nervous thoughts were? Grandma, you gave me way too much credit. Years later, when I was grown, my grandmother Ida asked me if I remembered how my mom treated me when I was little. I told her of course I did because she would never let me forget it. All of a sudden it dawned on me that my grandmother knew. She had always known. I was so disappointed in her. I said, if she knew what mom was doing to me, why didn't she try to help me? She said at first they didn't know for sure, but the next time they visited it was apparent something was wrong with me. Instead of gaining weight, it was obvious that I had lost several pounds. When they commented on the weight loss, Sylvia got defensive. They also noticed how I cowed, how cowed I seemed when Mom was in the same room with us. The action that drew most of their attention was how nervous I was. She said, I seemed to always be waiting for the other shoe to drop. They discussed this on their drive back home to Dallas. Other than outright accusing her face to face, there wasn't much they could do. The next time they were down to visit, nothing had changed with me. Grandma said she wanted us to go walking around outside and look at the roses. My granddaddy took his daughter into the living room. It wasn't long until I heard my granddaddy yelling at my mom. I don't know what he said to her, but I knew she kept saying she was so sorry and crying like I'd never heard her before. The tension was so thick in our house you could have cut it with a serrated knife. No one talked unless it was necessary. This time they didn't stay all weekend. For the first time in my life, I knew how it felt to be abandoned. I asked her again if they knew all of this, why didn't they help me? She said, why do you think you spent several weeks alone with us every summer? We kept you to give you a break. Grandma was right. They would come and get me and take me back to Dallas where I could spend up to three weeks with them in the summer. They would take me on wonderful vacations with Janet and her mom and dad, Jesse, Rodney, Larry, and Doug and their parents. We would go camping at Platt National Park campgrounds in Oklahoma. I continued to come to Dallas every summer until I graduated from high school. I still don't know the definition of having nervous thoughts, but I'm glad that's one gene I didn't inherit from my mother. Janet and I were discussing this information, and she noted that back then grandparents knew better than to go too far, or they might not ever get to see their grandchildren again. I think she was exactly right when it came to my mother. Like Janet reminded me, you knew better than to make Aunt Sylvia mad. As happy as I was to see my mom's parents, I didn't always feel the same about my dad's mother, Grandmother uh, Gladys. If you ever saw the news footage on, in 1963 about the man who supposedly killed President John F. Kennedy, you might have seen my grandmother. Gladys had, among all of her other properties, a boarding house. It was her home, and she rented rooms at first to young men who would come of age in orphanages and needed a place to live until they could get a job and establish themselves. Years later, she would open her basement, home, and garage apartments behind her house to men of all ages. She had just returned home from the Dallas Farmer's Market and was unloading produce when her phone rang. 
It was her daughter calling to tell her the president had just been shot. She heard someone ring the doorbell but thought it was one of her renters and ignored it. She heard the voice of a stranger say, Mrs. Johnson, are you Gladys Johnson and do you own this house? She looked up to see who this person was, thinking he probably wanted to rent a room. Instead, she saw a man in a suit who looked very official. He walked towards her and pulled out a bandage from his coat pocket and flashed it in front of her. He identified himself as a detective and told her she had to direct him to the room of Lee Harvey Oswald. She told him she didn't have anyone by that name living with her, but she did have a renter named Mr. O.H. Lee. He asked her if she was aware that the President of the United States had just been shot. She told him yes, that her daughter had just told her. He demanded that she take him to Mr. Lee's room. After she showed him the bedroom, he told her to leave. No, she wouldn't. She stood at an angle and watched as this man immediately dove his hands between the mattress and box springs and retrieved a notebook. It looked like he knew exactly what he was looking for. Then he scanned the contents and started ripping out pages as fast as he could, then stuffing them into the inside pockets of his coat. She thought he kept mumbling to himself, Oh no, oh no. But with the noise of the police siren, she couldn't be sure. Gladys startled him by saying, You shouldn't ought to be doing that. He whipped around and told her to go to the front door because she would need to bring the FBI and the Dallas law enforcement back to Oswald's room. By this time, the noise of the sirens was deafening and people were storming into her home. That night, I had invited a friend over to watch the news coverage. Dad had gone to bed and Mom was cleaning the kitchen when there was a news flash. They had located the house where Lee Harvey Oswald lived. Mrs. Gladys Johnson at 1026 North Beckley knew Lee Harvey Oswald under the alias of O.H. Lee. I had turned to my friend to say that was where my grandmother lives when suddenly I heard her voice. My mother started screaming for my daddy to come to the den quickly. I couldn't believe I was watching my grandmother on the nightly news. It's strange how one occurrence can change your life exponentially, but it did. My dad, thinking one of us must be hurt, ran into the den and to my horror was dressed only in his tidy whities. I was much more embarrassed that my friend saw my dad's saggy drawers than that the assassin who killed the president lived with my grandmother. I was a junior in high school, so of course everything my dad did embarrassed me. But really, tidy whities? The cause of the death of the president might have been revealed in the pages of Lee Harvey Oswald's journal. I guess we will never know, but it wasn't from my grandmother's lack of trying. While being prepped to appear on the stand and testify during the Warren Commission, she tried to tell the FBI about the man who stole evidence from her infamous renter, but they were too busy feeding her a script of lies they wanted her to give under oath on the stand. She told me that they wanted her to say that he refused to pay the $8 a week rent, and then the lies grew bigger and more outrageous. My grandmother has long been gone, but as the noted Dan Fry eulogized at her funeral, Gladys Johnson would be remembered as the woman who took on the FBI and won. Now, how's that for, a, for some of the mysteries I promised you? 
My grandmother had to be strong to live through death threats and abuse by the highest government echelons in Washington, D.C. There's nothing quite like going to Grandma's house for Christmas and be greeted by armed guards driving big black cars to check you out because of the continued, continuing death threats to her. You can see how determined my grandmother was to go up against the FBI. Well, she was just as determined to fix me. Her visits were always bittersweet at best. She made a good living off of all of her rental properties, including two apartment houses and five cottages. There was always a sign in her front yard that said, Room for Rent. She would come to visit loaded with presents and toys. She didn't come very often, and even though I loved all of the new toys, I always ended up in the doctor's office the day after she left. She would start in on my mother, accusing her of not making me nutritious foods, and then turn around and tell her how much she loved her cooking. Oh, I forgot. My grandmother also owned the Triangle Cafe in downtown Dallas. Today, my condition of being severely underweight would be called failure to thrive. When I was five years old, I still wore a size three toddler dress. Grandma would raise such a fit, she would make my mother promise she would take me to the doctor. My mother did this twice just to get her off her back, but the doctor said the same thing every time. I had enlarged tonsils and adenoids and couldn't swallow food easily. I suffered with this until I was in the fourth grade and had them removed on the last day of school. I grew so much in height and weight and that summer, that summer my teachers didn't even recognize me when I started school. It was like I was an elementary celebrity. Both sets of grandparents knew there was nothing wrong, something wrong, but not one of them followed up to help me. Finally, on August 6, 1951, I got the help I so desperately needed. His name was James Ray, and he was my savior. Join me next week when we take on a deeper dive into deja vu. Uh, the other me and the ignorant widow can be purchased on Amazon or downloaded on Kindle. Remember, you don't have to be strong, just knowledgeable. This is Claudia wishing you a good and spectacular week.